This is the Rundown. Rundown. The Rundown. Hosted by Luke Lipinski. 98.7 FM. Arizona's Sports Station. Live from the auction community studio for the next half hour. Luke Lipinski here with you. Cody Fincher behind the glass. And yes, it is just a half hour because the Suns are back at it again tonight. At home against the Chicago Bulls, looking to build off the win last night and the 32 and 14 record they have put together. It is just, it continues to be a ridiculous run. I mean, they started the season 8 and 8, and of course, since then now are 24 and 6. That's a pretty good stretch. You win 24 out of 30 games. That's, yeah, you're doing something right. Last night, 117 110 over the Atlanta Hawks. It wasn't pretty. Uh, at times, it looked like it might be. It looked like the Suns were going to cruise there for a little while. But, uh, you know, the Hawks, they end up coming back. The Suns let a 14-point lead in the third quarter slip away. We have seen this before, and we'll get to that in a second. But, I mean, after everything we talked about yesterday with the, the different ways to look at how the Suns are faring in these games where it is a five-point game or less in the final five minutes and, you know, this and that, and they're letting leads slip away, but they're finding ways to win even if they don't finish games strong necessarily. They build a big enough of a lead, and that's, that's how they're winning. Sure enough, last night they go out there, they have a 14-point lead in the third quarter, and yet with 3.05 left, Clint Capella has that, uh, that alley-oop layup from Trey Young, and it's 105-105. You know, just a few minutes earlier, it felt like. It had been 83-69 Suns, so we're like, all right, here we go. I guess we're going to see what the Suns do in the final couple minutes of another close game. And it wasn't Devin Booker taking over. Devin Booker, Devin Booker hasn't been, you know, vintage Devin Booker lately, especially at the end of games, but it doesn't matter right now they're still winning and he's still producing a, a ton for this team and he still had 21 points last night he, he technically led all scorers I mean the talk was about Dario Saric putting in 20 and Saric had a, an excellent game and a, a huge bounce back game for him and I do think that's big for this group going forward Devin Booker still did outscore him but like Book had 35 in the last game so I continue to not be worried at all about Devin Booker if that comes back to bite me in the playoffs, so be it. I'll take my chances with Devin Booker. But what I'm kind of encouraged by is he's not consistently playing to the level of peak Devin Booker, and they're still winning these games. Again, last night, is Atlanta a team you should cruise past? Eh, probably. I mean, Atlanta's not bad. This is They're not good. They're, they're not bad. They were a little beat up last night. But when you get down to the last three minutes and the game's tied, pretty much any NBA team you're playing, it's, you know, I'm not going to say it's a coin flip, but there's, you know, it's, it's closer to 50 50 when, when, it's, when it's tied that late than you'd like to think. You know, this isn't, this isn't college where the number one team in the country is playing the worst team in their conference and, and you could be tied with three minutes left and, and the top team still wins by 17 or something. You know what I mean? Like, these are two NBA teams. So I'm going to take some encouragement out of the fact that the Suns pulled away in one by seven, and it really wasn't necessarily all that much Devin Booker. I mean, DeAndre Ayton made a couple big plays down the stretch. you got to give the guy credit when he makes plays. Mikael Bridges on that one, <laughs> where he just, he just took the ball right to the hoop. And it was like everybody thought, oh, well, uh, Mikael's not going to shoot, so we can kind of give him. He was like, fine, I'll just take the two points. Jay Crowder with the uh, the three-pointer and then the free throw to follow it up. I mean, if we could work that four-point play 
into the final couple minutes of all these games. That would go a long way. That that was kind of the the final knockout punch by the Suns last night. They get the win, like I said, 32 and 14. Now, again, not necessarily a pretty win. Monty Williams after the game said, "Yeah, look, I get what you're saying. I don't really care. I just want the wins." Everybody wants a pretty win. Well, I just want wins. You know what I mean? And I I just think, you know, you have to take them any way you can get them. Now, I agree with that in a lot of ways, but this is Chris Paul talking about the last you know, seven, eight minutes of that game. you got to be better. I think that's probably the most frustrating part for me is, um, you know, we closed the game out, but we shouldn't have been in that situation. And I don't know how many guy, games we got left, but we got to, at some point, we got to start showing signs of getting better at that. Now, it's funny. They asked, uh, James Jones was on Burns and Gambo today, as he is every week, and Gambo asked him, like, okay, you're going to take a side here. <laughs> you're going to take the side of your coach, Monty Williams, or your point guard, Chris Paul, how do you feel about these late-game situations? And probably predictably, James Jones said, I, I actually agree with both of them. And, but I get that that's what the GM's going to say to most questions like that. But I see where he's coming from on this one. Like, you can hear those two comments. You can hear Monty Williams say this. Everybody wants a pretty win. Well, not, I just want wins. You know what I mean? And I, I just think, you know, you have to take them any way you can get them. And then you can hear Chris Paul say, yeah, okay, but we, we do need to work on stuff at the end of these games. I honestly hear those as, as two halves to the same sentence, really. You know, I, I don't hear those necessarily as, as differing viewpoints. I hear them as, yeah, we'll take the win however we can get it. And then Chris Paul comes in, he's like, but we're, we're probably at the point where Chris Paul's finishing Monty Williams' sentences, right? Chris Paul just kind of steps in and is like, but we got to be better the last you know, seven or eight minutes. The Suns know they got to be better at the ends of these games. You know, you you can't. You're probably not going to get a 14 point lead on Denver in the playoffs, but if you do, you got to hold on to that thing for dear life because that's a game out of seven that you're going to have to win. Granted, Denver is going to come surging back a lot more quickly and a lot more forcefully than Atlanta or like Orlando last week, but you got to be better because there is this weird thing with the Suns right now where. When they're up by 10 points, you know, if there's if there's more than five, six minutes left, are you really that comfortable that that lead's going to hold? I'm not. But at the same time, I'm, I'm comfortable they're going to win the game ultimately. Because that's what I've been shown now for basically 46 games. Hey, we got a 10-point lead to close out the third. All right, well, that's going to evaporate, but you're going to win anyway. <laughs> that's that's kind of where we are. I know those two things don't don't logically go together, but... That's kind of where we are with this team right now. But at the end of the day, Monty Williams is right. They're still winning the games. They did something to to give themselves a big enough lead that they could let it slip away and still win. I, I Chris Paul's right. I don't want to keep letting those leads slip away because, especially in a seven-game series, if you let your opponent come back on you when you're up by 12, let's say, in game one. Let's say the Suns are playing Portland in game one. And they're up 12 in the third quarter, and Portland comes back. Even if the Suns win, well, now Portland knows in Game 2, in Game 3, in Game 4, in Game 5, they're never out of a game. You just don't want to give your, your opponent life like that. But at the end of the day, the Suns win again. They're 32-14. and 14. I was encouraged by DeAndre Ayton making some big plays in those, those final few minutes. Jay Crowder, that four-point play was huge, obviously. Mikel Bridges, like other guys stepping up, that's... 
at the end of the day when we're in the playoffs and it's game six and the Suns have a chance to advance and, and the game is tied with 10 seconds left, I want Devin Booker taking the last shot. I think we all do. And I think everybody knows he's going to if the Suns have their way. But I like having a team that can win even if Devin Booker isn't having his best night because we've seen the exact opposite for so long where Devin Booker was having his best night. He put up 70 points in a game and they lost. We've seen the the other side of this. I like this version better. All right, let's get into the rapid reaction. The Rundown Rapid Reaction. Rapid Reaction. Reacting to today's top three trending sports stories. I will start in March Madness, where the Final Four is set in the men's brackets. UCLA going to take on Gonzaga, and uh, Baylor and Houston will go at it on Saturday. So at the end of all of this craziness, we've got two number one seeds, a two seed. It looked like it was going to be pretty chalky for the Final Four. Then UCLA steps in, and they take out Michigan. There's there's always one of these teams that's in that play-in game that just goes on a run. We have those four play-in games every year, and and half the time when you fill out your bracket, you only have to pick who's going to win the game. Like this year when you were filling out your bracket, you in the in the first round you could take UCLA or Michigan State against their first-round opponent. So those teams never get respect in that regard, but there's always one of those teams that goes on a tear, and now it's UCLA this year. The Pac-12 does get a team into the Final Four. UCLA saw somewhere today they're going to be 14 point underdogs against Gonzaga and that's going to be the biggest underdog since 1985 so they've got their work cut out for them but uh, some of that is, is just because of how good uh, Gonzaga is it's funny too their uh, the UCLA's coach was talking and he was saying like you know if I if you told me or if I told you a year ago right now that we'd be in the final four you wouldn't have believed me I'll go one step further if you had told me three weeks ago you were going to be in the final four nobody would have believed you so an impressive run by UCLA. It's cool to see a Pac-12 team it's to go deep as long as it's not U of A. It's just cool to see the Pac-12 not be a laughing stock like they have been the last few years. I know Oregon made the, the Final Four back in 2017. But it's been getting old where the, the Pac-12 is not represented in the Final Four or ever in the college football playoff. Like This is, this is better as long as it's not U of A. Uh, NFL, the schedule is officially going to be 17 games. The Cardinals' 17th game is officially going to be against Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns. That's that's a pretty fun matchup. Cardinals restructured the contracts of Rodney Hudson and Jordan Hicks today. If you heard Gambo earlier on, on Burns and Gambo, he said, you know, look, don't 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 expect them to, to take this money now and go out and sign another big name. That's just kind of money to give them some flexibility to sign the guys they draft. Uh, if you need to kind of throw an extra half million at somebody that maybe you're pursuing in free agency now you you have that you're not just wedged up against the cap but uh, the cardinals continue to do some maneuvering to try and put a playoff team out there this season Uh, and hockey the coyotes in colorado tonight coyotes have won three in a row they're a half game out of a playoff spot one point back and the team they're chasing st louis has a really tough schedule the rest of the way so it is actually very much in the coyotes hands where they can make the playoffs this season they have 21 games left colorado's tough Certainly, Colorado might win the Stanley Cup this year, but that one is tonight. All right, we come back. Haven't talked baseball yet. We only have a half hour, so we got to get some in there because opening day is tomorrow. How are the D-backs going to fare? Not just the you know opener against San Diego or those first four games. What's the key to this season? That's next. It's the rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. The 
Rundown with Luke Lipinski. I've always heard you're a very good guy and human. 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. <laughs> Great is this time of year for sports, right? I mean, you've got the the Cardinals making a lot of of nationally recognizable moves this offseason. You've got the Suns heading towards the playoffs. We we don't know what the ceiling is on the Suns, and, and that's great. I mean, to me, that's what sports are all about. We don't know just how far this team could go. You've got the Coyotes, like I said, who have a, a very real shot of making the playoffs. They've got 21 games left. You've got March Madness, which has the storyline of an 11 seed from the Pac-12 in the Final Four facing a team, and I do think this is kind of like <laughs> underreported considering what's going on. Maybe underreported's not the, the right word, but it just doesn't feel like it's being talked about that much. Gonzaga might go undefeated for the entire season. All of that opening day is tomorrow. Arizona Diamondbacks taking on the San Diego Padres in San Diego I maintain these games against San Diego if you're an optimist and you feel like the D-backs can make the playoffs this year. The San Diego games are probably the biggest. I mean, there there's going to be other teams that would emerge in a wild card race. The games against the Dodgers, you know, they're fine. I mean, I, I certainly want to win those games. I think that could do a ton for your confidence as a team if you're beating the Dodgers regularly. I don't think anybody's going to beat the Dodgers regularly. But like I said, if you feel like, hey, the Diamondbacks, I, you know, I, I trust Tori Lovello and I trust Mike Hazen to, to make a, a savvy move at midseason if he has to. It's not a big one, but maybe, you know, fill a need here or there. I trust Lovello to get the most out of his players. I trust a lot of these guys to have a bounce back. If that's you, then the San Diego games are, are some of the biggest because probably not catching the Dodgers in this division. Most teams probably aren't catching the Dodgers. San Diego is probably not catching the Dodgers in this division. San Diego's also very talented, but at least with the Padres, you can make the case of, yeah, we've seen teams come together before in baseball. A great team on paper that can't really put it all on the same page over the course of maybe their first season together. I don't think there's there's really any way the Padres are bad, but I'm just saying, like, so maybe they're not invincible. And if you're the Diamondbacks and you feel like you can hang around in the wild card race, then you know San Diego's a team you got to try and run down. So that starts tomorrow. Madison Bumgarner on the mound against Hugh Darvish. Merrill Kelly gets the start on Friday night against Blake Snell. Uh, If you heard the show yesterday, I do think Bumgarner bounces back this season. I don't think he suddenly becomes a Cy Young candidate. I'm not delusional. But if you look at his games last season, you just look how things played out last year. There's at least a realistic path where he, you know, has a decent year this year. And we look back and we say, okay, you know, 2020... You can't use it as an excuse, but you can use it in a situation like this, I think, to say, you know, it might be a reason to have optimism for this year. These are this. I'm just going to look at ERA for Madison Baumgartner throughout his career. Okay. And I'm going to throw out his first year because he threw four games that year. But, you know, 3.3.21, 3.37. Then he was sub three for the next four years. Then he was 332, 326, That's his entire career before last year. Last year, a 6.48 in nine starts. So even if you don't 
trust him to pitch for you or to be your number one starter. Just play devil's advocate with me here for a second. Isn't it at least possible that a starting pitcher, a veteran pitcher that's had a ton of success in this league and has never switched teams would be thrown off in a year where he switches teams for the first time, has half a spring training, then it just it gets cut short. Then out of nowhere, four months later, they're playing. Then he only gets to make nine starts, struggled in, the, in really his first few. His last couple weren't that bad, but you know his numbers were terrible. Like I said, I'm not making an excuse for last year. He should have been better last year. But I can at least see a path where he's back hovering around like a 3-8 ERA or something. Now, is that enough to get the Diamondbacks in the playoffs? No. I mean, they're going to need more than that. Not necessarily from him, but it, it, that would be a start. There's a lot of things that have to go right for this team. And as I said on the show last night, things are already going wrong for this team with the injuries to Zach Gallen and Cole Calhoun and Tyler Clippard. But it's a long season. And I do think the long season, in a weird way, benefits a team like the Diamondbacks because last year they were so clearly rattled after they got off to a slow start. Mike Hazen on with Doug and Wolf this morning says that pressure's not really there this year. We all put an added emphasis on opening day, right? The first time we get to see the team play for real, we get to stop talking about, you know, yeah, it was a spring training game. We only played the starters half the game. It doesn't matter. You know, the guys you were facing at the end won't be in the big leagues to start the season anyway. So whatever that, ma- you know, whatever that means or whatever that matters. So we're all going to put an, an undue-sized uh, level of emphasis on game one of 162, whereas if it was game 57, um, it's Tuesday afternoon, and, and we're looking forward to Wednesday. Um, look, I, he had a good spring training. Um, velocity was back up. I know he was happy with that. Uh, he threw the ball well. He faced some good lineups. Uh, very confident that he's had a, a good amount of preparation going into going into the season. Um, you know, knowing that much like all of our other starting pitchers, he didn't get to throw a ton of innings last year. Um, but we're 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 happy where he's at right now. And tomorrow should be a should be a good ball game. Look, I told Cody last night, we, we did one of our baseball drafts and Madison Bumgarner was somehow still out there after the draft was over, so I picked him up today. I mean, look, if he's bad, I'll just drop him. <laughs> the D-backs obviously don't have that sort of luxury. If he's bad, they're screwed. Uh, but I don't think he's going to be bad. Uh, but it's not just him. You know, there's a, a lot of guys have to bounce back. It's nice to not have all that pressure on your start like there was last year, and that obviously derailed the D-backs because they didn't get off to a very good start, and then the season was just it felt like it was out of control, and it was. But if you haven't looked at the schedule, again, 17 of the first 22 are on the road. And it's not like I think home field advantage in baseball makes that much of a difference, but you're traveling around 17 of your first 22 games are outside of your building. It's going to be a test, especially because you're not going to have Zach Gallen for that first chunk. You know, it's possible he only misses four weeks only in air quotes, I guess. But I mean, if he misses the first four weeks, that basically takes you through that big chunk of road games. Maybe the San Diego mini series after that at home, maybe Colorado, maybe it takes you to early May. They don't play the Dodgers until May 17th in L.A. So, I mean, you just you're hoping to have Gallen back by then. Um, it's it's going to be a test for the D-backs right out of the gate. But it's not like if you lose three in a row, your season's over. <laughs> because losing three in a row in a 60-game season is like, what? It's I don't 
really want to do these conversions again like we did last year, but it's like losing eight, nine in a row in a regular season. So it's, uh, it's a big difference here. And, uh, but there's going to be extra pressure tomorrow because it's Madison Bumgarner pitching against you, Darvish, and San Diego's got their new team. There's more pressure on San Diego. That's just fun. It's fun pressure because it's opening day. All right, back to the Suns real quick here before they get uh, the Chicago Bulls at Phoenix Suns Arena downtown. Pre-game coverage starting here in just a few minutes. Tip-off tonight at 7 o'clock. Suns looking for win number 33. Even with the bubble factored in last year, they only won 34. So <laughs> last season was improvement, but this season is just a, it's kicking it like three gears higher than they were playing last year, at least. Maybe that might even be an understatement. Uh, kind of a cool story. The Suns are going to bump the number of fans that can attend games up from right around 3,000, which is where it is now. Remember, at the start of the year, it was nobody. Then it was 1,500. Uh, then it got up to right around 3,000. They're going to go up to about 5,500 when Utah comes to town on April 7th. So, A, that's good timing. But, B, it sets the stage for a real cool scene at Phoenix Suns Arena during these playoffs. I mean, Suns fans have been waiting. You guys have been waiting and waiting and waiting for this team to make the playoffs. In some years, it was like, okay, you're close. Just you know, knock, This isn't quite your year. You know, hey, Jeff Hornacek came in, did a great job, but couldn't quite make the playoffs. That's one thing. But there was year after year, and there was like four years of, yeah, you're going to win like 21 games this year. So now, this fan base gets to experience playoff basketball and it's right as this fan base gets to start really going back to games. Like, I'm not going to get into the, the science or the politics of it here. But assuming it's safe, wouldn't it be great to have that number go up even more when the playoffs start? Think about it. Like, we saw this team turn the corner in the bubble, and that was great and everything, but it was in an empty arena in Orlando. And then even this season, as, as they are clearly a different team... Started with no fans, up to 1,500, now up to 3,000. We're going to bump it to 5,500. I mean, the Suns are doing what they can do safely. I like how they've handled it. But how cool would it be to have, I mean, that that building is going to be loud anyway. There could be 10 Suns fans in there. This team making the playoffs for the first time in a decade. But if that attendance is is even higher than 5,500 when the playoffs roll around, that's going to be the loudest arena in these playoffs. Suns fans are hungry. And now they finally get to come back and watch their team in the playoffs in person. That's that's a lot coming together at once. This is going to be fun. This is going to be an intense playoff run. It's going to be a lot of fun. Tonight, not the playoffs, but still an important game as the Suns try and run down Utah for first place in the West. Taking on the Bulls tonight. It's going to do it for us. Thanks to Cody Fincher behind the glass. I'm Luke Lipinski. Suns-Bulls next on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.